on, busy on the dukes. Sup, sexy baby. Hey, dude, you look like you're about to fucking fight Ralph Macchio <laughs> for your honor. Of Let's your go. <laughs> <laughs> I am Karate Kid. You know, I actually watched Shang-Chi last night. Did you really? Yeah. Um, it was cool. It's It's been hyped up, dude. I mean, like, people are loving it. They're saying it's one of the best, like, superhero films of time. Wait, what? Oh, the one, uh, the new Marvel one where the dude has like the like the rings on his arms and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, oh, the, it's oh. like the it's the all Asian superhero movie. Oh, dude, what? I didn't know that was out yet. Fuck, I would have watched that last night. <laughs> yeah, it just came out. It was fucking cool. Um, because I actually texted a buddy of mine, a brother of mine, and he's a Asian actor out in Canada. Okay, and because we we ended up talking about like crazy rich Asians, we've talked about like a lot of the Asian movies and culture kind of coming out right now. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> and what I was saying to him, I was like, I really wanted to love it the way I loved Black Panther. Mm-hmm. It was really good, but I wasn't in love with it. And then one of the things that I was thinking about it was, I wanted it to really. As much as it is an all Asian movie, I wanted it to really just like shatter the barriers and be something beyond that to be because okay. it's a, basically like a martial arts. It's Marvel's like martial arts movie. And I wanted it to really be so much more than that. And they did a really good job for it because that's basically like they kept it as that. And I wanted it to be like this great thing that transcends these barriers but I think that's where it'll go in the coming movies with his character and the story and everything but for what they did it was fucking dope dude it was like and like the level of connection to like energy and the elements i was in a vibe <laughs> watching it <laughs> it's like everything you've been looking for from a movie yeah i feel like there, there's been a lot of movies coming out that are like the like asian american movies that are like a reclamation of like asian culture and like and like here's like understanding what it's like growing up as like a first generation Asian in America, all that kind of stuff. And they're usually like comedies, mm-hmm. but um, but I'm glad that they're like throwing action in and stuff like that. This one still was too, actually. It was there was a lot more comedy in this than any other Marvel movie in the past. Really? So it was a mix of like martial arts and comedy put into superhero. <laughs> okay. But that's exactly what it is. But they uh, after taking time to like sit with it, they needed to do this first, right? It needed mm. to be paying respect to the culture, to the roots, and to they actually was cool. There's a lot of like Jackie Chan esque um, scenes too, and oh, I think nice. was, like one of the guys that they had like do the scenes was a guy that worked with Jackie back in the day. But um, yeah, so it was very traditionally like Chinese in a the most non-traditional Chinese martial arts way yeah. at the same time. But then I'm like, part of me is also just ready to see this become like a full fucking like just swagged out character. That's like, you know, doesn't fit the stereotypical Asian norms. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Like Asian Tony Stark in his own way. Right. Like that character. Oh, interesting. I was actually thinking more <clears throat> like, uh, kind of like black culture where it's like shaft or something yeah. like that, where it's like, this like this kind of like swagged out like it's 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 almost it's like yeah just something just something a little electric and then it's like what I was thinking and hoping for was like Black Panther right like Black Panther drops in 
these scenes that just open up the movie are sick. He has this like confidence to him. He has this kind of edge to him and it's just fucking cool. But then he's also very like humble and he holds that humility and that groundedness at the same time, mm-hmm. he's hoping for something like that. But this is an origins story and he's not a king yet. This is like his story into that, mm-hmm. into his, you know, role. So yeah, cool. I thought with, with Black Panther, they did like probably a better job than with any of them of making the character super fucking likable i mean they did with captain mm-hmm. america too just because of like where he came from but in that and you're like talking about that first the first like 20 or 15 minutes of black panther where he's like you know he fucking drops out of a plane and so like, sick you know fights a bunch of people and then he's like still nervous around girls and then like he goes mm-hmm. home and like he's got a good relationship with his little sister and like he respects his mom and his father and he's also like a good like prince to the people and he's mm-hmm. just like damn like this dude is like He's the man. Yeah, unrealistically well-rounded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I wanted. Just like to just fuck, up, <laughs> fuck all the norms and like the stories are trying to build. Just make him a total gangster. <laughs> yeah, dude. But I feel like uh, I feel like Asian dudes can have like a really similar swag to black guys. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm imagining butterfly collar, like '70s button-up that's like tucked into like the tight bell-bottom jeans, kind of, you know, and then like burnt orange leather jacket with like like sunglasses that have like the, the foggy, like light purple, like lavender type lens, you know? And then he's got the fucking hair combed over and like the high pomp and shit like that. And it's just like, damn, this guy fucking swags. <laughs> you don't really think about it or see it, but it's cause a lot of Asians are in inner cities, right? Right alongside black communities. So there's a mm-hmm. level of growing up in that same sort of like environment and you kind of got to swag out to make it through. But what we see is the other end of Asian culture. Mm-hmm. In, in the u.s and like all the really geeky you know quote-unquote geeky nerdy students with glasses or whatever but yeah asian culture i mean like one of the this is this actually kind of ties in with what they're talking about like well, i think that conversation that we had actually had about like disparity in the asian communities where mm-hmm. there are so many like we call we say asian but there are like so many different types like, Asia, yeah asian yeah. cultures right <laughs> and it's like oh yeah well like asians you know have actually have like the highest median salary and it's like mm-hmm you know, some Asian, like Japanese and Chinese yeah. Asians in America have the highest. And then you have like Southeast you know, Asians are all scraping yeah, by <laughs> yeah, Malaysian, Lao, Thai, you know, all these, you know, all these different other like cultures. And I think that um, it's, it spans such a broad area. And I'm thinking about like, for example, how, like if a, if white guys dress like black mm-hmm. guys or like cool Asian dudes would dress, right. Like literally right. Like, it looks like flamboyant. Right. Um, but if you have like, you know, uh, like a Southeast Asian guy dressing like that, or like a black guy dressing like that. You're like, Oh, there's like some inherent level of like toughness and masculinity, like Mm -hmm. born out of hardship that makes all of like the flamboyant colors and like style, like actually look fucking cool and look tough. And there's something to be said for, for that. I don't know. With that, that's actually one of the things I really enjoyed about the movie. There's the, if you think about like old martial arts movies and like old, just like Chinese war movies, the, mm-hmm. the emperors or leaders are just fucking masculine as shit. Yeah. And they did that with the dad and the, um, the, I don't know, the bad guy in this movie mm-hmm. really, really well. Um, there's like this like level of gravity of just like powerful grit um, that comes through. One of the things I was thinking about when you were talking, dude, um, you know, we talk about the hardship. 
I took, I think it was actually, I think it was an Asian specific uh, social class, sociology class in uh-huh. college. And they were talking about like the roots of racism on Asian culture. And one of the things that we look at with the Asian community is like a lack of masculinity. But back in the day, when Chinese immigrants and just a lot of Asian immigrants were coming in, it was actually the exact opposite. There was a lot of uh, fear from white men of the Asians, of the Chinese, of these men. And so the whole campaign and everything that was created to put them under and back into this role, because there was, you know, originally it was Chinese slaves building train tracks mm-hmm. and it was to belittle them and make them look like dogs and unlike men. Yeah. So that's where it all originally rooted from. And it's, it's, it's still what we see and carry today. Interesting. Yeah. I remember you telling me something about that where they like, it was either that or I saw a picture or maybe you had described to me a picture of like the banner that they had had, mm-hmm. like after like an election, maybe it was like after like the Chinese exclusion act or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think I might've seen a picture. It was like the Chinese exclusion act and there's it's like a picture of a celebration that they were having with like a big banner, like hanging up inside of like a tavern or something like that. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of white people were like celebrating whatever, you know, incredibly derogatory thing was like up on this fucking banner, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Cause I think that there's like two, uh, there's like these two divergent things. There's that where there's like this uh, subhumanization of Asian culture. And then there's also like, I think with, with Japanese culture, like pure Japanese culture, a split where there's like this the highly masculine, like CEO businessman who has a voice that's like this fucking deep. And like, yeah. all he does is fucking work. He's like a robot of masculinity mm-hmm. um, with like no tether to the feminine. And then you have, Japanese dudes where you look at them and you're like, is that a woman? Mm-hmm. And like, they act right. very effeminate. They talk very effeminate and they're like, they look so similar to their girlfriend right. where you're like, and there's like, there's like no polarity there. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? You know, mm-hmm. um, there's something like really interesting to me about that as well. I agree. I don't have a next point for that, but I agree yeah. with that. Um, something I actually, I'd always saw in Thailand growing up too, because, you know, the population of those who are basically non-binary, who are trans, who are, you know, anything other than black or white, masculine, feminine is so, so, so popularized there. And in Thailand, yeah, in Thailand, yeah. yeah, like we have probably the, the highest amount of transsexual male, female men and women, um, actually not just transsexual women in the world. Mm. And that's the, we have like the top surgeons in the world for this as well. So people go to Thailand specifically to get their surgeries. Yeah, I mean, they do a fucking great job. I mean, there's like the whole like lady boy type of, mm-hmm. you know, fit, like cultural they're, phenomenon. That, they're gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. They're, they're exactly gorgeous. They're fucking, they look like hot women. Like they don't look like good looking, good looking, effeminate dudes who are dressing like women. They look like hot women. Yeah. That's um, crazy. Even without tons of makeup. Right. Where I think like the American drag queen, not even drag queen, the American like transgender often has to wear some level of makeup in order to look like extra feminine. Mm-hmm. But I think like their features lend to femininity so well that like when they do the, the sex change operation and the hormone replacement, they look like, 
you know, it, it looked like fucking women. It's, it's like unbelievable. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, you're right. That's interesting. Maybe it's like, uh, if we look at it on like the cultural lens, it is more accepted because the religions allow for it. Right. Cause the, if you look on a Buddhist level, it's, it's, there is no fight against that. And it's, it's just acceptance of what is. And so culturally as a whole phenomenon, like it's just more acceptable and there's less fight. Bro. My whole, one of my whole fucking dreams came back to me. I was like, <laughs> Let's hear it. I was like with this, I was like with this, this woman who like, I genuinely cared a lot about. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I mean, in the dream, she had not, there was like almost no preface for her. Like she had kind of like showed up, but like in the dream, I was like, I'm fucking in love with this woman. I've known her for X years or whatever. And then she was like talking to me about like Jesus Christ or something like that. But she like, it became very clear to me very quickly that she had like a conservative Christian view on who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. And like, she was invested in all of these like structures of like religious Christian judgment. Mm-hmm. about stuff and i was like i'm I was like i was like i'm gonna this is gonna thinking to myself this is gonna destroy the relationship but i'm gonna tell her about the christ and like i started describing to her and i was like talking about christ consciousness and i was like mm-hmm. walking around this cluttered room and i was like you know god isn't like somebody in the sky who sent his son here to die for our sins like <clears throat> there's like god the divine in this sock the divine in that shirt the divine in your in you and your soul and me in that dog and she was like no like absolutely not like that is fucking hair that's heresy but and she was just like arguing with me mm-hmm. for judgment and for fear and for separation and i just like i was angry i was like angry but also like my heart hurt i was like how can you not how does like the truth not resonate inside of you when i say this you know right yeah yeah and that's in, I just thought of our last episode we recorded and we we're talking mm-hmm. about Paul, how he has to kind of not accept the teachings and really, you know, work with them and push against them. And for you, it's just meant to be just a pure embrace and love of all of it. And that dream just makes me see that even more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was weird. But I, mean, I think it's also like a, kind yeah. of a good sign of being like, okay, like I have this woman that I really care about, but you know what I care about more? Like my the Christ. And my yeah, the, yeah, my beliefs, yeah. yeah. Which is a big thing. Yeah, I didn't even like realize it in the moment, but you're like, oh shit. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I've always had this relationship with God the last few years, as you know. It's been shifting and I've been more and more drawn toward God through actually a religious lens, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. I was like, I'd be interested in going to church and doing these things and just getting these different perspectives and viewpoints. But then at the same time, you know, my deep appreciation of God is just lensless. Yeah. So it's, it's a really interesting dichotomy and like evolution of this dynamic with, with the energy. I wonder, do, are you interested in religion from like almost an academic standpoint where it's like, I'm interested in hearing about like the history and the understanding of, of a religion and like to see it through other people's eyes so that I can like understand another viewpoint of God. But like deep down, like there's no, there's no not soul level need, but like your understanding of God at a soul level is solidified, but you want to like see it from other people's eyes and other people's perspectives and to like understand the, like the anthropology of a religion. Yes. And yes. (laughs) Um, 
to see it through other people's eyes as well as the more academic like historical anthropology of it um both but i think like you're saying right to understand the history of it academically to then be able to understand the cultural roots and to understand people more and more and more and more yeah it's crazy because i took a lot of classes on this so i have a pretty decent lit foundation but um yes yes yeah yeah i just got i got the impression that it was like you didn't need obviously like need religion to know god like you know Mm -hmm. god but like to like to to need religion to know man right Yeah. yeah which i think is actually what people are doing when they're being religious or they're studying religion they're actually studying mankind mm-hmm. humankind studying humankind and they're studying yeah. people and the way we think the way we relate the way we hold faith and i think that's probably one of the more important things right finding faith mm-hmm. in the way that matters to us and resonates to us it's also like and it's like studying worthiness i mean if you think about like religious practice for some people it is like incredibly sacred it is like this um, I'm practice. I'm, I'm sacrificing time and energy and resources because I love God. And like, I want to, I want to devote myself in some way to this, but I think for a lot of people, it's just, you know, because religion automizes like, uh, automates, like religion automates that decision for so many people. It's like, well, if you're in this religion, then these are like the bare minimum practices that you will do. And it turns into a bare minimum thing where it's like, it's almost like, okay, if I don't do these practices, I'm not worthy of God. And it's like studying, like almost like the the human concept of worthiness of the divine. Yeah. You said worthy. And my immediate thought was, or the lack thereof, Mm -hmm. because that's what so much of the religion does. But I was just talking to someone about this the other day. And I said to them, it's like, you know, God is the good but more importantly, it's the bad, right? God is there for you to celebrate yourself when you do well, but God is really there in the shit storm. And that's where you can perceive and understand God the most and really have this connection. I think, you know, one of the things when we talk about religion is people who push against behavior, who, hmm, I'm actually going to say that differently. When we look at religion, I think one of the things that we can struggle with is like the idea of like things like sins, right? Like that is not of God. When I would say actually it's the exact opposite. Those sins are the most thing of God you can have. Hmm. I think like the perception of God within sin and the perception Mm -hmm. of God within the shitstorm, to use your your terminology, is where that viewpoint is the most impactful. Yeah, you know, it's where it's negated. Where it's negated, because you're saying you're not, you know, you're doing something non-godlike. You're not, you're doing something, you know, non-worthy, non-whatever. Yeah, when it's really meant to be, yeah, okay, not meant. Meant is the wrong word, but I'll say in truth, it really is something different. Yeah, in the way you're describing it, to truly know God in everything, rather than just the things you want to know God in. Like Mm -hmm. it's easy to see God in a hummingbird or in like a beautiful cloud or in a sunset, but like it's a lot harder to see it like in infidelity or in Mm -hmm. um, lust or greed or whatever, you know, those things are harder to like picture. Like, why would God want this? Like, but God is a loving God. Why would, you know, (laughs) why would there be greed? It's like, because God loves you so much that he lets you do it, you know, like, or it lets you do it or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
God is there for your growth through the pain and the hurt. Mm-hmm. Think about it too. And I think you'd agree with this. It's like people who find God through religion, whatever those means are, they need that structure. That's the way that they're served, served most in that life as are those who find God and are in that structure and then really push against it or just completely against it. It's just like you find God in whatever ways you are most resonant to you that are most needed for you. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if God is everything, then God can meet you exactly where you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then lift you to the, to the higher with your acquiescence. With your acquiescence. Yeah. Your acquiescence. I uh, was thinking about, I think this is a Swami thing. Um, or he says, or maybe from Milky's deck. I don't know. I don't know. Some, some, some of the spiritual people that you and I have held. Swam Keys deck. <laughs> that makes me like internally from the soul chuckle. <laughs> Swam <laughs> um, L. Gibson. <laughs> um, basically, you see God in the way that you need to. And that's one of like the ways that you can understand why there are so many different gods, right? There's so many different peoples and cultures. And so each has their own connection to God. So if you have a moment with God, that can be seeing Shiva, it can be seeing Jesus, it can be seeing God, it can be seeing nothing and just being like in a moment of bliss. Mm -hmm. But it's like whatever it is that that person is needing, that's the way you're going to see it. That's why there are different gods. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, God, yeah, God, exactly. God shows up however you need God to show up. If that's a fucking dog running up to you, like if you're like depressed and a dog runs up to you randomly, like runs away from their owner and their owner's like, what the fuck? And like the dog runs up to you and like puts its head in your lap and you're like, oh, I have the will to live now. Or like, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, uh, you know what? Like, I want God to be a monkey. And then um, Hanuman is like, you know, is, is created as a God or whatever, right? Like, yeah, God is, I mean, since God is formless, you know, at essence, then God can take any form. So it doesn't really matter, right? It's like, I want to fucking, I want to pray to a giant jacked white dude with a fucking beard and lightning bolts <laughs> in the sky. Then like, I'll fucking do that. You know, I'll Zeus it up. I'm going to pray to the bro of bros with some pre-workout. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like fucking Zeus and pit vipers with a mullet. <laughs> All hail King Brad. God Brad. <laughs> God Brad. <laughs> Brad Chan. All hail Brad Chan in the joints. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking just slamming down NOS energy drinks. Uh, oh, man. I, I, I knew for some reason I needed to just let it record from the beginning today. That was entertaining. <laughs> um, with that said, I can play with some editing later, but is there anywhere you want to get into today? And I may probably keep a chunk of that just because it was... I want to get into you. Yeah, Let's no, I actually it. think we should, we should publish some of that. I mean, it's like, fuck it. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is, this is what we actually talk like all the time. This can just be a, a rambling episode of Neil and Zach and pure conversation unfiltered raw. And we just oh keep this God. whole chunk right now too, just for the, yeah, exactly. I think we should just leave this in. Too. Actually, this would be entertaining. So let's do it. Hey guys. Thank you for guys and gals. Thank you for and being here. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the heart soul human podcast. And Neil is <laughs> not editing intro. this episode. Dude, yes. It's like uh, the fucking heavy ass <laughs> intro that, uh, that like some movies will have where you're like, okay, I guess this movie's not going to have like the intro moment. And like 20 minutes later, like the title of the movie will, like drop in over the skyline of you're the like, city and you're like oh i thought the movie was already done yeah you're like what's Shit. the running time of this fucking movie 
Can we be here like six hours? Oh my God. Maybe, maybe we will be here like six hours today. Just Neil and Zach are going to pull a Joe Rogan and just go. Oh my God. God. Bro Rogan. You like, you don't, you don't watch bro Rogan. Yeah. I haven't in a long time. I actually really enjoy like the clips of them when, when they're shared, but dude, I mean like he just goes on like three hour rants. Dude. Yeah. It's like the conversations are too fucking long. Yeah. I I couldn't handle it. And this was like back in the day when I started listening to Joe. So like, I just couldn't handle it then. Yeah. Maybe now. Yeah, man. I I can't do it either. I've listened to maybe two of his full episodes like in entirety and it's just, all right, guys. (laughs) So we're going to talk about, we're here. We're back. I don't even know. I don't know what's being edited out. I don't know where we are. We'll see. This is gonna be may, a, you tough. may have just heard that whole last like five minute chunk of us. Talking <laughs> this is gonna about be nothing. fucking tough. This is gonna be a tough week for you to edit, bro. Um, uh, yeah, so we're gonna talk a little bit today about dreams, dreams and a little bit about like some of these intense. Maybe maybe Neil will chime in, but some of these intense ass dreams that I've been having. Um, I've been having like almost shaman level uh, dreamscapes that have been kind of going on. Um, I remember really really intense details with my dreams for like days at a time. So I'm very fortunate in that regard. So I'm very jealous of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, very I very remember my dreams. It's all that third eye shit. I have like three days worth of dreams that I, I still fucking fully remember right now. What? Yeah, I can get like two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really intense, man. I remember the full fucking texture of the dream. Um, so there was this this dream that really stood out to me that had like, it was just rich with all these different Saturn return themes that I'm going through. And I was, I was kind of like in this mixture of my undergrad, my undergraduate university mixed with like a hospital. So if you can think of it essentially in a dream sense, it symbolizes like academics. It symbolizes my career and like my, you know, my life, my academic life. And I was about to sit down for a final exam for this clerkship that I'm taking. And our, one of our friends, Maya, um, who I recently did a, a podcast episode with that I can refer you guys to afterwards. She had texted me in this dream and was like, you're a, like, basically she texted me that I was about, that I was going to pass the exam by like 2% essentially. Um, like, don't worry. Like you're going to pass the exam by like 2%. And it made me really fucking angry because like, I have been working really hard and I want to do more than pass the exam. I want to fucking crush the exam. And there was this, this, the core of it was, I feel like I can't get it right. And I'm really angry. And so I took that anger out on her and I was like, don't fuck. Why why the fuck would you tell me that? Like right before the exam, like that wasn't reassuring. And I grabbed my phone and I just like, like, started ringing my phone out and it fucking broke it like it broke in half kind of like hamburger style basically like in a transverse plane and uh i knew like when i broke my phone like it hadn't fully died and i was like okay if i like shove the phone together uh i can keep the electricity in the phone in here so the phone will keep working and so i started holding the phone together to like keep it working and um I'll explain all of these themes when, when I've kind of described out the phenomena of the dream. And so I like try and get a hold of my dad. I'm like, Hey dad, can you like help me get a new phone? I fucking broke this one and I'll, I'll break down that theme. And, uh, and so like all that's happening. And then I have to go out and I have to go do 
a call shift at the hospital in the OR. And while that's happening, my ex-girlfriend and I are trying to like have like a day together. We're trying to like, yeah, we're trying to like spend time together. And not only that, but I also have family in town. So I need to go spend time with her. And then after that, go spend time with my family. But then I have this call shift at the hospital. So um, I show up, I do like the first surgery with the, with the surgeon. And then there's like some scheduling mishaps with the rest of the, with the booking of the OR for the rest of the day. And kind of what had happened was like, I could have, if I had decided to put more elbow grease into it, really figured out like what was going on in the hospital. I could have just stayed, which I knew was the right decision to like stay at the OR. That way, if there were more surgeries that day, I was going to be there. And if there weren't, I wasn't going to get in trouble, but I didn't do that. I left and I went and spent time with this, with uh, my ex. And then I went and tried to spend time with my family and the whole time I'm panicking about this decision. Um, and Neil has his mic off, but he's like reacting like really viscerally. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> the levels and layers of this, of what this means to you is insane. Yeah, dude. It's, yeah, there's so many different fucking layers to this. It's crazy. Uh, it's like a fucking bean dip. Um, <laughs> I'm upset that I used that analogy. <laughs> really upset. So I leave the hospital and I'm like panicking that I did this. I'm like, I know I made the wrong decision and I, but I've, I've already made the decision and I really don't want to fucking spend time in the OR that day. I fucking hate surgery. <laughs> so I'm like leaving and I'm trying to fucking hold my phone together, like for dear life. And I'm like this whole time pressing my phone into itself so that it won't die. And I'm trying to text my dad and I'm feeling like, like bad because I rely on my father for this kind of stuff. And I'm trying to like get a hold of my clerkship director to figure out what the fuck is going on in the OR today. Um, and then I'm trying to like spend time with this person. Uh, and I'm also trying to like, and then I'm feeling bad about spending time with her instead of my family. Cause they're in town and there's like all of these different layers that are going on. So to kind of like break it down, essentially um, there's this clearly this like warring or like, actually, Neil, do you want to chime in on anything before I just continue to fucking talk? No, you're good. We'll, All right, we'll, dude. we'll wrap it up after. All so, right. Sounds good. good. We'll bang it out. All yeah. right. So there's kind of like this warring aspect of my consciousness between family life and school life or career, right? There's this, there's very clearly this, like, I know what I need to do and I know what I'm leaving behind to do it. I know what I'm sacrificing to do it. Um, there's also this aspect of like, so I should actually probably break this down and say, like, this relates very deeply to my astrology. Like I have this North node, South node axis, North node, Sagittarius in the 10th house, 10th house being your public view, like how, like what you become known for and Sagittarius being like going on long, going on long, Neil's pointing at himself. I think he's a Sag sun sign, like going on long journeys, um, committing yourself to your purpose, knowing things very intuitively. Um, and then my, my South node axis is Gemini in the fourth house and fourth house is kind of like the energy with which you grew up with the energy that you were raised in, in your, uh, your childhood home essentially. And Gemini is very specific knowledge. It's very, um, be a socialite, uh, spend time with family, 
like all that kind of stuff. So you see like throughout the theme of this dream, there's kind of this back and forth negotiation between the North node, South node axis. And at this stage of my development at a subconscious level, clearly South node one, like the South node force house, fourth house won all of these things. There was my friend, Maya actually broke this down. She's like an expert, like ancient astrologer. She broke this down really, really well in very bulleted points. Like the thing about her telling me that I passed the exam testing specific intellect, which is a Gemini aspect versus intuitive knowing of passing Sagittarius, right? Um, reliance on your parents, a fourth house thing versus desire for financial independence, 10th house destiny, Sagittarius versus free will Gemini. Um, and I had broken down for her, like something about like some, some kind of theme I've been getting into about like, do we have free will or at the highest levels? I don't think free will is actually a real thing. I think we just experience things as free will, uh, personal life, you know, family, um, friends, that kind of stuff, fourth house versus professional responsibilities, 10th house desperately holding together your cell phone, Gemini, or, you know, in a more broad sense, me like wanting to hold on to my social life and some aspect of charisma and personality and all these things, desperately holding my phone together and using one hand to like desperately hold my phone together, even in a surgery where like, I need to be sterile and I need to be focused and all these things. Um, she goes, this dream is your subconscious trying to negotiate your North node with battling the allures of your South node. Um, this is based on some magical astrology practices that I'll have to explain at a later time. So that's the whole fucking Wait, I'm so curious about the magical astrology practices. Now. I know that's what I told her. I'm like, you <laughs> can't just say that bro. and not describe them. <laughs> Maya, come on. Please. She's like, You've been doing some deep dream work. It's based on these magical astrology practices. I'm like, now our whole pray tell fans to know. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Eat pray tell. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy. It, you know, I was thinking about um, when we first became lovers <laughs> and some out there will, will hear and think we actually are because we actually are, but we aren't, but we are. <laughs> when we first became lovers, we kind of talked shit about astrology and now you and I both have such a greater respect and resonance for it. Having gone through what we have gone through. It's just mm-hmm. like, from my own experience, so much of my chart didn't make sense to me because I was so deeply in, you know, this like karmic foundational stage of myself so like me as a sag made no fucking sense that's not who i am and having gone through what you've gone through i mean like the level of which that is true and so accurate for you is insane man yeah i mean a couple of things that i mean first of all i think that there america has like pop cultured uh yoga tai chi the tarot yeah. astrology and all these things and you and i definitely have like a visceral like dis disdain of those types of things. Yeah. Um, although, you know, the journey meets everybody where they're at. Right. So there's that, that understanding, but like at a personality level, hate it, hate to see it. <laughs> and we're starting to under like really respect, you know, ancient astrology, the true. mystical tarot and true archetypes and like channeling true archetypal energy mm-hmm. through the use of tarot and, we're doing real Qigong now. And so we're really starting to get in touch with all of these things. Yeah. But yeah, I do think that dreams can be an incredibly powerful. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like this navigation of like your subconscious, this navigation of 
these ever pervasive and changing themes within the, like the story arc of a lifetime. Yeah, I agree. Right. Like, I mean, the one thing that the world will just tell you about dreams is they kind of just show you what's going on, where things are at. And if we look at them on a conscious level, it's kind of difficult because dreams can be so wild. Mm -hmm. But when you kind of pick them apart and go into the themes of what's going on and the patterns, you start to be able to understand what's going on for you. And I think, you know, if we actually look at it really broadly, one of the things that was coming up to was just the stress of it all. And that's one of the things we've kind of felt in that you and I have been talking about, like the stress in your gut and things that are going on. And that dream is just a giant stress of like, oh, I'm trying to do all this. I can't do any of it. And I just need to be here for this. And it's stressing me the fuck out. And then this thing I'm actually doing is also stressful as shit. And it's like, ah, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's the fucking classic Marvel scene that they love to do where the fucking superhero <laughs> is holding together, like, oh, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. whatever, Tobey Maguire with the train, like holding together the fucking webs or. They uh, did it in Shang-Chi too. They did it. Fucking yeah, of did. course they did. Or like fucking uh, Captain America holding on to the, the helicopter pad and then holding on to the helicopter and like trying to pull the helicopter down with his bicep. Mm, just being so split. Yeah, exactly you're getting pulled apart trying to balance trying to hold on to a part of you that spirit has been telling you for a long time is not going to last you know yeah. no matter how hard you try and hold on to it while moving towards something that frankly like I dislike like I mean I I know I know my purpose I'm in love with my purpose that doesn't mean that I enjoy it all the time and like or I don't enjoy the way that it is designed the way that it's laid out in real life. So I feel like those dreams and those awarenesses, those moments come at a prime time when it's like, okay, it's, it's things are about to shift. That's why this is coming up right now. I can feel the weight of it. I can, all this, my body, my subconscious, my soul, my higher self, my guides, all the other things possible are kind of bringing this forward into my awareness. Actually the day before that dream, um, this, of course. Yeah. I was listening to a message from Maya and I looked down at my phone and that her message was at 2555 when I looked down at it. So five, five, five change. And then maybe within two minutes, um, she had sent me another message at 555 PM and my friend had called me at 555 PM. So all within like two minutes, there were three, five, five, fives, like this really intense change energy. Um, and then the following day I was like doing something and I looked over at my phone. I had like paused a timer on my phone and it was 1551. And I think that palindromes, so like reverse, you know, mirror images of numbers are also angel numbers. So I looked at the was like angel number 1551. And it was basically the same energy as like angel number five, five, five. 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 Yeah. yeah. Like it's everything like, is shifting in your life. Yeah. There's a huge shift yeah. in your life. And I was like, Oh, fucking fuck me, man. <laughs> like, that's really intense, you know? You had, so. you had God in the form of Maya, which I would actually believe. <laughs> I fully believe. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that's a trip. That's cool. So what I'm thinking about is like that moment when you're getting split apart, sometimes you do need to ride that out, right? Some people, it's like, you just, you're not quite at the pop but then there comes a moment for you to let go of one or pull it all together. How would you say we can understand what it is that we're supposed to do in that point and then begin to shift our intention and consciousness into that? Thank you for making this tangible. <laughs> Thank you for making this something like, 
You're welcome. But I was thinking about it for myself, too, not just for the audience. But, yeah, and no, I, yeah. I appreciate it. But um, so how do you, so basically, how do you navigate that transition period? Right. After it's such awareness now, now what? Yeah. I mean, I think that what you spoke to, uh, to could just be fleshed out and actually be made kind of the, the uh, crux of this, of this whole topic, which is just the awareness that it is a transition and that the idea that if you were meant to be fully on one side of the fence or the other, you would already be fully on one side of the fence or the other. I think that these really intense themes and these really intense struggles, we almost all, unless you're fucking dense, like where you're really trying to not notice what's going on in your life. And both of those things are possible um, separately and simultaneously. Uh, Unless so, unless one of those things is happening, you are almost surely aware of what theme in your life or what aspects of your life are trying to be, are basically falling away, and what aspects of your life are coming in to focus. We can almost always tell what that is uh, because spirit will have been, for and like in my case, like for years, ripping away aspects of my South Node, like like ripping away the life of a socialite, like ripping away superficial connections, tearing away um, the ability to blend my energy in, in, you know, really big social situations where I can be a chameleon. Right. And in its, in its stead, putting in uh, an energy of like truth where it's like, Oh God, like lying in any way, be it a white lie or not, even to a child feels like so inauthentic that I'll be like brutally honest with a child <laughs> or like, you know, all these are, you know, moving towards career, moving towards these things. And you can't let go of yourself faster than you are. Like, I think that the, the most that you can do to support a transition is to be aware that you're in a transition and to be patient with the part of yourself that is resisting it is to be like, well, fuck. Like, I feel like a part of me is dying. You know, and I could, cause I've tried, right. I've tried to just double down on my North node energy and be like, okay, I'm not going to go to the coffee shops on weekends. I'm not going to text my friends for days at a time. I'm not going to, um, engage in small talk at all, like blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not going to get bogged down in minute details, but like, I still need those things. I need to get bogged down in my new details because I'm a fucking doctor. Like I, I need minutia. Um, like I need, I need to get, get out of the house at times. Otherwise it becomes a real weird time <laughs> in my apartment. I need to get out of the house and spend a little time outside. I need to spend time with friends. That's a human need. Right. And so when I try to force myself to let go of things, I become uh, Zach becomes a grumpy bear. You know, nobody mm. likes grumpy bear, Zach. I like grumpy bear, Zach. I like all bears, Zach. How about that? I'm trying to get that honey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get that grump truck. Oh, back it up. Oh, damn. Back up that grump truck. Hey, girl, what you got in that cooler? Why don't you, why don't you ride that cooler up into a tree? I'll climb uh. it. <laughs> See? 
<laughs> you need to have these other sides of you still too. Exactly. But I think that's, you know, what you finished that off with is exactly, you know, the best thing you can say is like, okay, like, well, I'm making these shifts. Am I going too far into it? Am I you know, not doing enough? All the thoughts that come up along the way, like yeah. the way you're feeling and the way your life is feeling. That's a great way to begin to read like, okay, where, where's my balance here? Exactly. Where is the, like, you know, it's almost like one side of a beam got weighted more. And it's not that you have to go all the way. You have to walk all the way to one side of the beam to keep it balanced. Like you just have to find where the new balance point is. Yeah. And <clears throat> so much of what you, you might be able to interpret a change that's happening in your life. And obviously I can only really speak through my lens. So for me being like, Oh, like it se- what it seems like to me is that spirit wants me to let go of um, this, this like really robust social life at the expense of this really deep and profound inner world and spiritual world and like uh, academic pursuit. And so <clears throat> my brain's interpretation of it is let go of your social life and everything hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent into your academics, into your meditation, into your uh, spiritual explorations. But that's like my brain's interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Right. What I'm finding Actually, my example of it is I went to a dinner party on Friday night. I went to like a Rosh Hashanah dinner Not party, cool. um, which I called Jews giving. Um, like, so I got together with a bunch of uh, with a bunch of friends from school and some uh, some of my older classmates in the year above, and we'd had this nice dinner. And so you think like dinner party, Gemini, mm-hmm. social light energy, right? But the way when I went there, I had this very kind of cool. It's very cool, very Euro experience where I was wearing my Astros chaps and my fishnet t-shirt. No, I was, I went in and I had this very, this very cool kind of balanced experience where I walked in and my South Node energy got activated immediately as I walked through the door. And, you know, there's always a lot of energy when a new group of people walks in and I walked up with another friend. So there was kind of like five or six people standing at the front door. And then there was like people at the table a few feet away talking to us. And it activated my Gemini energy. And I just started telling jokes. And like, I always start really strong. I started telling jokes. Everyone's laughing. People are like in stitches. I'm like, you know, just kind of acting like a puppy dog. And in the sense that I'm like bouncing around the room and talking to everybody. Within like 30 to 40 minutes, I was like riding that momentum unconsciously. And people stopped responding to it. Like people didn't want to like really engage with it. And I also felt really fucking tired. And I felt like I I would have rather been home than doing that. So instead of leaving, I like decided to kind of get in touch with myself and be like, oh, well, what energy is actually truly authentic? Not unconscious, because I think there's, I'm navigating this idea of is the unconscious authentic or is the unconscious at times just programming? And in order to be authentic, we need to like get in touch with ourselves for a second. So I got in touch with myself and I was like, Oh, like I'm just telling a bunch of jokes unconsciously because that feels comfortable to me. Uh, Actually, I feel like pretty quiet. You know, I feel like pretty chill. Um, I would rather have a deeper conversation. So I started like chiming into things with a much lower energy, chiming into the group conversations with a much deeper kind of like slower cadence. And it really shifted the way that I experienced the evening, right? So my interpretation of the shift 
that I was intended to undergo was let go of social life, put yourself fully into work. But in actuality, I can still have a social life. It's just that I need to change my relationship to that area of my life. It's like, you know, so what we were saying at the very beginning in this mishmash episode <laughs> is um, us getting more in tune, actually not the very beginning, this was like actually 10 minutes ago, but us getting more in tune <laughs> with like the deeper truths and the deeper experiences of things, the deeper connections to, you know, these things. Um, oh my God, they totally just put like, I just saw a black wall <laughs> come in front of me. So I'm not going to go there. What I will say instead were you gonna were you gonna out some shit about me? <laughs> no, I wasn't. They just they just want me to go somewhere else instead. One of the things I think behind this is right balance, like you're saying. And to find balance, I think there's such a big importance around intention, right? And when we are looking at how we're showing up, these shifts that need to happen, these things that are going on in our lives, like we are perceiving it as like, oh, I need to go all into this and not have any of this anymore, right? That's the way our brains work. That's the way you and I work. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I say it to that comes through me um, in a handful of readings to really empathic people, people who are very you know, spiritually gifted, is like, you are very, very sensitive. So you are feeling the energy of this thing. And yeah. you're feeling like that's the all or nothing. But that's actually your perception of in this energetic sensitivity mm-hmm. to this big, big energy. But that's not all of it. You know, your job is to be in the here and now with that energetic awareness and understanding of what that means to you right here, right now. So that's more so like the balance, the integration, like the slow process. And sometimes it can be like all in, but usually it's like, all right, I'm putting in like a leg into the water right now. And that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's it. That's all I'm ready for. Cool. Yeah. I love that. There's like a crow in the background there. It's like, <laughs> it's like kind of like symbolizing some, some death of a, you know, death of like yeah. themes in your life. But I, <clears throat> what you're, talking about now, which is being an empath and really intuiting Mm -hmm. what's going on with other people um, and what's going on with uh, your future, right? Right. Um, You are feeling that energy of the future sometimes, or you're feeling Mm -hmm. that energy of other people sometimes will focus on the future aspect of it. Not only are you feeling that energy, but like the anxiety and the, the tension that you're feeling is, it can be two things, right? It can be or many, actually can be many things. It can be one, like your interpretation of what that future is and the mm-hmm. discomfort that you have with that interpretation. It can be your resistance to that future mm-hmm. and you're experiencing your inner turmoil revolving around your inner resistance. process of like shifting into that. Yeah, it's yeah. like a, I'm thinking of like a, a, a peanut M&M where like the core, the, the inner core of it is a peanut. It's like a, it's a legume. Mm but you've covered it in chocolate, right? Like you've covered it in something else is what I'm saying. Like essentially you've wrapped, you've wrapped something true in something shitty, which is Mm -hmm. like resistance. Um, Or three is like, you see where you're meant to go and you think you need to be there because you're perceiving that you need to be there right now. You're misinterpreting Mm -hmm. the timeline of it. But what Neil is saying is the only timeline you ever need to be concerned with is the present moment. Yeah, Like you will receive... Uh, distant memories from the past, even past lives, you will receive intuitions of the future, but none of it matters if you can't be present. None of it matters if you can't feel the moment and understand what is being asked of you in the moment, right? That energy that you're intuiting from the future or the information that you're receiving from the past might be necessary information 
information or like a necessary milieu of energy that needs to be mixed into the present moment, but almost never does the future need to be the full focus in the present. Right. Yeah. Because right. And we go into deep spiritual truths. It is never about the future. It is never about the past. And it is about, it is all about the present and that's how you get to where it is you're supposed to go. Yeah. Frankly, Frank Lloyd Wright, there really is no, there is no future. (laughs) There is no future and there is no past. They're ideas, right? Yeah. In some ways, the present is an idea as well, but um, really want to get into some deep. Really, really, yeah. yeah, I mean, I it's it's t- Neil and I have this, this is all struggle bullshit. where Neil and I try and have human conversations with each other, but we're both like operating on so many levels planes of awareness that like yeah. we're like on one hand it's like yeah, well, I'm saying this, but like really it's this, and it's like yeah, but we're just trying to have a conversation with each other, and we yeah. like we're, we're in the human side of it right now, but like here's yeah. all the other layers and levels beyond that. Yeah, in like kind of a cool way, I think that like when we're perceiving an energy of the future, we're not actually perceiving a future time necessarily where this actually, there were a future energy. And like, this actually ties into to something that I, this is before I could channel before I really was in my perception, super mm-hmm. tapped into intuition. But I recognize in hindsight that I did have many moments of like divine inspiration. Right. But I was, I was uh, taking LSD with a friend. And I was really trying to understand the structure of the universe at this time. And I was understanding it through a very, very scientific lens, a very like chemical, like chemistry, biochemistry type lens. And I was kind of given the image of this graph. And in addition to space and time on the graph, there uh, in time being not just like a time in your life, but like just time throughout the universe uh, and wherever you fall on that. But as a third, as kind of like the Z axis of this X, Y graph is your level of consciousness or like some vibratory quality. So if you looked at it, you, if you could like, let's just say like you change one variable, right? Like if you change and all of these, since all of these things are interconnected, right? You take one point and you say, like, let's change the x-axis, which is space, right? Um, and you go like, oh, well, like, let's change the space from Sacramento, California to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I, by virtue of my life, have to change to a different time point in my life because right now I'm in California, but at some other point in my life, some other time in my life, I've been in Arizona. But because of that, I was also at some other level of consciousness. If it was my past, where when I grew up, then it would be probably a lower level of consciousness, a lower vibration. If it's me in my future, it might be a higher level of vibration. So you can see how, like, by changing the space, I change the time and the consciousness. Or if you took my consciousness and you elevated the consciousness, I would, by virtue, have to change my space and my time because I'm not there at this very moment. So what you might be perceiving from the future is not really the future at all. It's an energy that's already present and you're being shown that energy because your guides are saying to you, begin to align to this energy and to align to that energy is to change the other coordinates on the graph as well. The way that you will experience the acclimation to that energy is the way that we experience acclimation in this realm of consciousness or this plane of existence of earth, which is time, right? The way that we experience soul growth on the earth plane is time. Word. 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 
I Treatise in Consciousness, <laughs> Volume Two. Oh, I can't wait to see the to read the books you write one day. Um, yeah, what I was thinking about that, and this was actually coming up, and you, this elicited it again, was like these things that come up, the energies of these parts of ourselves or these futures or whatever, they are here to create a shift. That's also, as much as you're perceiving it energetically, this future, it's like this future coming into you and helping you to now begin to align and shift things. And it doesn't mean you're leaving everything behind that once was, but it's shifting and shifting and shifting, moving up, you know, on a graph, like from one and one on the X and Y axis to two and two to three and three and shifting, shifting, shifting Mm -hmm. until you get to that final point which is infinite and not actually a final point, but you know, yeah. Hashtag quantum. Hashtag quantum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the part that that is cool and just kind of like academically interesting about this is that like, mm-hmm. if you shift things enough, you'll end up in a different incarnation, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you shift the, if you shift the time enough, if you shift the space enough, um, if you shift the consciousness enough, you'll actually be in a different incarnation. Your soul will be in a different one. I mean, we can get into the, was it the Mandela effect? I've, that's been coming up to mind over mm. and over and over these last few weeks too, of like, for anyone that doesn't know, like the way you can think of like, what's, what's one of the best examples of this? Uh, I mean, we could just do it Bernstein versus Berenstein. Yeah. Bears? I don't think that's, that's a good example. That's not like, a good I, one. Many, oh. like my, many of my qualms with the Mandela effect is that people use things that are like really easily mismemorized. Yeah. And like, what like on a mental level and a physiological level yeah like like it's just, just like a product of your conditioning and then this is shifted and so you remember yeah memory yeah memory. exactly if somebody says berenstein yeah. bears to you uh but it, it's actually written as berenstein bears and people keep saying berenstein your your mind yeah. will fill in that e with an a it's like yeah and it could have been like the president and like you know, this year said this word this way. And so everyone started saying yeah. it this way. Or the whole, like, Luke, I am your father is not like actually what he says in the movie. It's like, no, I am your father is what he says. But everyone's like, but I remember him saying, Luke, I am your father. It's like, or you just remember fucking everybody talking about it like that. Um, mm-hmm. But, but so we'll actually break it down. Like then the Mandela effect, I think was kind of how it actually started is that, uh, you know, Nelson Mandela, obviously in our timeline, got out of prison, got off, got off of Robin Island, um, was exonerated and then became the like president of South Africa or the prime minister. I can't, I don't know what the, what the, the station or the office is, but like half of the world remembered that Nelson Mandela was murdered in prison. They're like, what do you mean Nelson meant? Like Nelson Mandela died in like 1994. Like, what are you talking about? Um, and like people remembered that, like, I remember reading it in the news. I remember crying when I read that Nelson Mandela had died in prison. I remember both, which is weird. You remember both? <laughs> yeah. So my consciousness is tied to both. Yeah. You were, yeah, you were alive at that time. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, not, I think I know you were, <laughs> I know you were alive in 1994. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah. So there's the idea, like, I think Neil, you were going to take this off into some direction about like timelines, but Yes. Word. Sick. I am word. Word. I am word. <laughs> um, yeah. Where I was thinking about that was it's been coming up for me recently more and more and more. And I am totally now just gone. I don't know where I was taking that. Do you have anywhere you want to go with Mandela? With Mandela effect? effect. I mean, I've been thinking about timelines a lot because <laughs> I've been watching the show Travelers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Oh, you're like the fifth person that's told me to watch. Actually, you you're the first, and now you're yeah. the fifth. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> coming to watch like, a, a bunch of people's show, dude. I can't even. No. I asked you that question yesterday about like, you know, what movies to watch and stuff like that. I ended up watching Travelers last night anyway. <laughs> You're like, fuck, fuck it. it. <laughs> I'm doing this anyway, man. You can't fucking tell me what to do. <laughs> I'm my own man. Uh, yeah. So I, with regards to, you know what? I, I think I'm just going to keep actually breaking down this, this like, the, not the Mandela effect necessarily, but like this idea of like these kind of vibrational like mm. coordinates. Um, so I'd had that realization probably in like 2016, 2017. And then right. last year, Maya had told me about this channeler named Bashar. And Bashar is kind of like, uh, he's this, this this dude who channels Bashar, who is like one of his future incarnations, apparently, in like a, an advanced civilization. I think it's like Arcturian or Pleiad, some, some shit like that. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, but part of what he channels in addition to just, you know, channelings about consciousness and about like moving towards love, moving towards unity consciousness. He talks about, you know, the science of advanced civilizations and how they travel. Um, I mean, obviously you can, actually, this is not obvious. I shouldn't say obviously when I talk about things at this, like at this level, but like obvi, obviously at a high enough level, you can just transmute your consciousness into a different plane Obby, of reality. And you should know. You this. should know that you can just. How do you not consciousness across the across the universe? You know, <laughs> but like um, there are. I mean, there are different ways. There are different ways of traveling, um, and they're talking about how to travel in crafts and like how to travel across the right. the galaxy or across the universe into spacecraft. And what they, you know, what they're saying is like. It, it blew my mind how much this tied into what I was talking about is every coordinate in the universe has some vibration, some specific vibrational quality to it. So like <clears throat> the example, the analogy he gives is like, if you took a long table uh, and you had sensitive enough instrumentation to measure this, you could set a ball on one end of the table and measure what the, what the vibration is of that ball at that table. And then you could set the ball, <clears throat> I'm sorry, at the other end of the table. And with this instrumentation, measure the vibration of that ball at that end of the table. And then you, with an like an overwhelming level of vibration, you project onto the ball at uh, point A, the vibrational energy of point B. <clears throat> and once the ball starts vibrating at the energy, the energy of point B, it has to end up at point B. Like it cannot exist at that level of vibration and not be at the space in which it resonates with that vibration. This is just like manifestation too, where it's like, oh, if I hold something in mind at a high enough level of consciousness, it has to come to me um, in that, with that texture of vibration, right? So if you, so what they're saying is like, yeah, you know, we develop this instrumentation to measure these coordinates in the universe and then we have instrumentation within our spacecraft that cause the ship to, and the people within it to vibrate at that level of vibration. And then when it hits that level of vibration, we instantaneously end up at that place in space. That's sick. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's dope. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely want to hear more about that. Um, but you saw my eyes kind of go big in the middle of it. And I was like, holy shit, I'm having a deja vu. We've talked about this. Mm -hmm. 
um, which is why we know this episode is meant to be <clears throat> yeah. when you have that. It feels but like it's all over the goddamn place, but <laughs> there's hopefully some good stuff in here. <laughs> and totally aligned. <laughs> uh, but all I was thinking about was the... It's 11-11 right again. now. Oh, it is 11-11. This is divine. And on that note, we are done. Goodbye, guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> That would be the most horrific. Like, okay, cliffhanger. Bye. I mean, we've done <laughs> it. Done. We've done it plenty of times in we've the past. <laughs> but I was thinking about the chart again when you're talking about that, right? Like, if you're looking at an X, Y axis, left and right, up and down, and we begin to we're at like one and one on the chart, and we we're saying before, right? Now you move up to two and two, and three and three, and sometimes as these energies come in. Uh, and begin to, like we were saying earlier, you were saying, like, it, it is beginning to help you realign to this thing, this part of you, this future, whatever it is. And then it's almost like if you begin to go into that enough, then all of a sudden there's a timeline shift. And you're at, instead of one and one on this 2D chart, you're at one and one, except like one layer back on a now 3D chart. Mm-hmm. And one and one and like one and one A, one and one C. And then yep. you're on this other timeline. Which is where I felt a lot of Mandela effect recently of like, oh shit, like this thing that was happening before does not exist in my life anymore. And I can't remember what specifics, um, but I could just realize like, oh yeah, like shift, timeline shift. That's what's going on. Like I shifted timelines, different consciousness, different awareness, different different energy and vibration now. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna describe something that without a visual is probably gonna be hard for people, but I'm gonna do my best. Is um All right. Like you're talking about, if you were to look at like a graph, right? There are, Mm -hmm. there's the graph, there's the 2D graph that you're looking at. There might even be like a Z axis, but there's also planes within the plane of the paper and Mm -hmm. outside of the plane of the paper that are coming towards you. And then there are planes moving up and moving down. So if you imagine like uh, sheets of glass, like you have sheets of glass stacked on top of each other Mm -hmm. and then sheets of glass stacked forward and back within that. But then within those, and this is where it gets kind of complicated, is that there are nonlinear patterns within that. So let's say you're looking top down on this thing. And what you see from the top down is a circle. And then you elevate one strata in vibration. The circle is still there, right? Like every level of vibration is inclusive of the level of vibration below it. So you still see the circle, but now there is like, a triangle on top of that circle. Mm -hmm. And then you elevate to another level of vibration. And there's like kind of an ellipses off in one direction and you keep going up. And eventually, like if you're looking at it from the top down, it looks like this sea of, you know, kind of like if you've heard of a Mandelbrot set, like if you look it up on YouTube where it's like these like really crazy geometric patterns and like, it's like you're falling into the geometric pattern And when you fall into one fractal of it, it turns into a whole different one. And you're like, oh, fuck, it never ends. Um, And if you've ever done psychedelics, you'll know know those as well. Uh, But it's like that. Like, you'll look at it and you'll see this ever-changing, moving, highly complex pattern that at every level of vibration is a different (laughs) pattern. But it's all inclusive of itself. Um, And it all folds back in on itself. So all that to say, I mean, there's really no point in saying that other than just like all that to say, like shippy crazy fam. And uh, the way that you might experience an energetic pattern at the level of consciousness that you're in now could be experienced by you in a very different way at a higher level of consciousness or a lower level of consciousness. And that's kind of the, uh, I guess, like the scientific mechanistic 
way of understanding why at different levels of consciousness, you perceive things differently. Like, you know, at one level of um, consciousness, if you get rear-ended in a parking lot, you might be like this motherfucker, like I'm going to fucking get out of my car and like, you know, punch this person through their window and pull them out of their car and kick the living shit out of them. Right. Um, and I've been at that level of consciousness. And then I've also been at the level of consciousness where somebody rear ends me and I go like, oh man, this person was really distracted. Like they might be like really stressed about the fact that they hit me. Like that probably made their day worse. You know, let's, let's just have a conversation about this and we'll just like move on and we'll get out of the car and the person will be like angry and upset and like frustrated with themselves. And then I'll have a conversation with them. And then we'll both leave the interaction, like smiling and laughing and be like, all right, man, have a good day. Like, I hope you and your, like, I hope you and your wife end up making it to dinner tonight or whatever the fuck we were talking about while we were waiting for insurance to like figure some shit out. Right. And, you know, I'd like a very simple love. You just be like, yeah, like you've just become like a more patient and like loving person. And that's true. But what's also true is that like, you're looking at a more, you're intuiting or feeling a more complex pattern of, of thought and a more complex pattern of like vibrational dynamic. And by nature of the fact that you are at your essence of vibrational being, you have to respond differently at that level of consciousness by virtue of the fact that you are at it. I don't really know how to describe it. <laughs> it is because it is. Last week, I think I said to you on the episode how I get to have like just be in that spiritual energy through you. Mm -hmm. And that happened this whole episode. There's been times where I've just been like mind blown in my own, own head, just having different experiences and awarenesses come forward as you're talking, just getting to like be in your energy and receive it. And then I had this moment where like everything you were talking about, about the chart mm -hmm. and all the different layers, I saw that within like the entire context of this episode of how it's all the same thing in different layers and like, we've talked about the same theme just through different lenses through this whole episode. <laughs> yeah. And I've had so many insane, like just awarenesses of myself through this whole episode. It's been gnarly. So just getting I like just to share that just downloads like, on downloads. Bumble fucked by spirit. <laughs> I feel Zach. that way too, man. I'm sitting here talking and I'm just like, God, this feel like it from my perspective as like a personality, I'm like, this is so nonlinear. This is like, so hard to follow. And like my personality structure goes like, if it, if it's not logical and it's not linear, then it's not valuable, but that's a fallacy, right? Mm. Because reality is not linear anyway. Um, and so I find that like very interesting, right? It's like yeah. probably something that David Hawkins would say to like, you know, surrender to, um, is that like, I experience this as nonlinear, therefore it's not valuable. And I need to hold up to some standard in order for this episode to be good for people to listen to. But in fact, like <laughs> much of, <laughs> much of my life is spent trying to navigate a highly structured, highly organized and highly linear world mm. with thoughts like this, literally from the moment <laughs> I wake up to the moment I go to sleep and in my dreams is like, I would say probably like, 20 to 30% of my consciousness at all yeah. times is operating in a nonlinear plane. And I'm trying to like, <laughs> like li listen to people music. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> like, listen to this beat. I should put on pants today. I should like fucking do my flashcards or <laughs> like whatever. And meanwhile, I'm like, fucking everything is everything. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> just mind blown in your own world. And that's, that's it though. Right. Like we are in this human experience and a human experience can be everything non-human at the same time. And to have that awareness of these things and, you know, to allow that to shift and shape you the way they're supposed to. And then you kind of just pull back into this human moment. Okay. Like, okay. Now what does all this shit mean to me right now? Maybe absolutely mm-hmm. nothing. And it's really cool and interesting. Maybe absolutely everything is supposed to change and shift your entire life to that. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, who the fuck but, knows? <laughs> yeah. But there's definitely, you know, I think about Paul's guides and they talk mm-hmm. about in this, you know, that their whole treatise or their whole, like, uh, I guess, like not treatise, their whole anthology up to this point has been like, you know, kind of this process of like, understand that you are a divine being, understand that you are worthy of this divinity, understand like what the requirements are of moving, of being manifested as this divine being, and then kind of understand what it looks like to what they would say, like claim the kingdom and like be realized as your true self, what needs to be let go of in order for that to occur and what is required to maintain that level of vibration and what they say is that like where you know kind of where those of us who were i mean probably and, and those of us who are not you know and are on this journey in general are kind of add in consciousness right now is actually they said this directly to me when i asked the question at, at the paul selig like <laughs> uh thing i had asked them a question about like you know kind of what what happens to matter and what happens to reality as we begin to exist in the upper room, as we begin to exist in like this higher vibration. And they're like, you know, where many of you are at right now is actually straddling two worlds, like Mm -hmm. the world that you were raised in this like lower vibrational strata of, you know, of existence and the upper room. And what I'm realizing now is like much of my experience (laughs) in this life, like right now in this time of my life is like, straddling two worlds where I'm like on one hand Mm -hmm. living in this completely non-linear state of being where I'm just like receiving at almost every second of the day, intuitive downloads and trying to like make sense of all that shit. While meanwhile being like, I wonder what the answer to this question is like, Hmm, if there's postpartum bleeding and like the uterus isn't palpable, um, is it uterine inversion? Is it uterine atony? You know, like all that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to like, think about these like linear things while meanwhile being like, mind fucked into the <laughs> into the dirt by like spiritual you know downloads yeah and i think right at some point it's like we are no longer straddling and then it's just this this human thing exists within this the upper room within this higher when, level when we have come we have come we have come we can stop straddling yes 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 <laughs> before we started straddling or when we finished straddling (laughs) what I was thinking about was like uh, now this human experience is in the upper room and so it's no longer straddling but now you're just a human in this spiritual world in this new energy and you kind of just like go back to being yourself but being yourself is completely divine it's not becoming Mm -hmm. the divine yeah there's this um I think you know what they would say is like there is a process of acclimation where you move up to the upper room and you hold that level of vibration for as long as you can. And then you run into things that would have you kind of, that what they would say is like, go back into the basement, you know, mm-hmm. um, or to go back downstairs. Like, like, you know, for example, they would say, you can't claim fear in the upper room. It doesn't exist in the upper room. 
but you can still choose fear. But in order to do that, you're leaving that strata of vibration and going back down to a lower vibration mm-hmm. where fear is an accessible energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this whole process is like, you can see it as kind of a bridge or kind of like a straddling, but it's really a straddling because like you're going up to the upper room, you're existing at that level of vibration. You're seeing what is required to be let go of when you're vibrating at that level. Cause things like are starting to fall away from your life. Right. I mean, you can think about it like when a dog shakes water off of their body, like the lower strata is the water. And then the hot, the upper room is when the dog climbs out of the river up onto the bank and the dog starts shaking, right? And shaking is a vibrational motion, right? So the dog is now at a higher vibration because it's shaking its body and water starts flying off of it, right? Mm -hmm. The dog can choose to go back into the river, you know, and to become entrenched in water again. So you go to the upper room and you see all the things that are leaving your life and your small self or your personality self goes like, fuck that. (laughs) Like, I want to still... Uh, be able to drink alcohol. Like I still want to be able to have one night stands. I still want to be able to um, cuss, you know, I still want to be able to cuss out the person who cuts me off in traffic, right. Or whatever. I still want to watch. Uh, I still want to watch war movies. It doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Something like right. that. Um, and so you go back down into the lower strata in order to have those things that you think that you need in order to to exist, but really what you're doing is like, you're claiming a world at a lower vibration when you do that. And then you'll, it's like meditation. You'll come back to your breath, so to speak. You'll come back mm-hmm. to the realization that you've left the upper room and you'll go back and then you'll maybe <laughs> let a little bit more go. And then you'll come back down until eventually, you know, you go from spending 10% of your time in the upper room to spending 90% of your time in the upper room. Right. You know, what I see is also the opposite end of that, where like you're going to the upper room and then you're also bringing some of that back with you and then into your consciousness, into your awareness. And then you're beginning to shift these lower vibrations, these lower states of being as you bring some of that energy back into it. And then it's just like <clears throat> that whole range is getting, uh, I can't do that as a, that's going to be it, a visual thing. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's very difficult to. The fluctuation will be less and less and less and less and less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, also the fluctuation becomes less and less because the things in your life become perceived in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. Where, uh, for example, what they'll say is like, you cannot lift the evil man to the upper room because you're claiming him as evil, right? Right. And to the, the idea of evil is an idea born in fear and separation. To claim something as evil is to make it subhuman, to make it, to put it outside of the divine, to claim it in fear, like, oh, that's evil let's not associate with it or let's punish it for its, for its evilness. Let's cleanse it in the fires of righteousness. But in actuality, you know, you know, in the upper room, you might look at the quote unquote evil man and see him as like a troubled soul, a troubled being, perhaps a soul that chose a body that is genetically predispositioned to violence. And the soul did not bring enough of its, of its spiritual material to the lifetime in order to balance out the, violent nature of that body. It might be you that you'll actually in your knowing perceive the, the trauma and the violence that that being experienced as a child where you'll literally see, and I've seen this kind of stuff. Like I'll look at a guy and my personality would go like, dude, what a fucking douchebag. And then in a moment Mm. I'll start crying because I will see him as a child being thrown up against the wall by his alcoholic father and the plaster dents into the wall. And then the father starts kicking him and putting out cigarettes on the kid. 
And I think like, that's not a douchebag at all, you know, like yeah. that's, you know, that's just fucking pain. And like, thank, I mean, that, the fact that I perceive that dude as just a douchebag and not like what he could have become, which had been like, who knows, you know, who knows what that person could have become. And you see like the moral fiber <laughs> of that soul within, you know, and that, that is a lifting to the upper room. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. And it only happens, though, through being in that lower consciousness, right? You have to see him as a douchebag first, and then you have this experience where you're using, and, you know, it's unconscious, but you're using that spiritual energy that you hold, the upper room energy, and moving beyond that and seeing it in truth, and then you're both lifting up. I think you can. I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's necessary, but I think, like, there's benefit to it in some ways, like, at every level, Mm -hmm. right? Like, to see that guy as a douchebag, and then to like have a moment where you lift to the upper room and then see it from another perspective is part of the learning curve, right? Because it yeah. teaches you how to do the same thing within yourself as well. So like all the ways in which you judge yourself and then lift to the upper room and see, see yourself in a different light. But I think at a certain point, you know, when you're in the upper room, um, it, you know, like you just don't even perceive that kind of thing in somebody. Like, yeah. It's more so like this, where you are in the spectrum of it in your progression. So yeah. Like it starts in that point where I'm seeing people as douchebags and I start to see triggers and awarenesses and, you know, it goes into the spiritual path and then it goes into this loving spirituality and, yeah. and then it kind of just slowly fades away at that, at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Word. Word. I am word. word. <laughs> uh, I think we're done. It's been a long episode actually. Yeah, man, it has. Uh, We'll see what you edit out. (laughs) We shall see. Maybe absolutely nothing. Who knows? Who knows? But I've hoped everyone has listened to our bumblefuck of love. Yes. Actually, I do want to do a really quick plug for um, an episode, like a a video or a podcast episode that I did with uh, our friend Maya, the one that we've talked about probably like in almost every episode. (laughs) (laughs) The last several months. Because we love her. So I did... And our friend Colin, who was on the original iteration of our podcast, have done episodes with Maya on her channel on YouTube called Maya's Dream, M-A-Y-A apostrophe S, Dream. Uh, Maya and I did an episode on spiritually connected friendships. And we talked about like how, you know, so we kind of broke down some of the some of the patterns and some of the... Uh, ways of operating that can develop a high level friendship, especially when one or both people in the relationship are empathic or are telepathic or um, operate at like kind of like a, like a high level of spiritual intuition. Um, it's applicable if you don't have one of those, or if you aren't experiencing a ton of knowing and a ton of intuition or um, kind of like empathic awareness and it's also applicable at the higher levels where, you know, the quote unquote higher levels were like, you know, the, not to make a judgment statement on that at all, but like where you're like, you know, kind of receiving telepathic communications from a person. So it hits all the different levels. Um, I recommend giving it a listen. So check the show notes. It is linked. And on that note, we love you.